All right, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you all. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here, to, and I'm so glad. This is a great day, isn't it? It always is on a Sunday. I love Sundays. They're great days, but uh, I'm happy today. Um, a couple, well, just one thing I'm excited about, and there's a lot of things, but we are welcoming in 12 new members today. That's pretty exciting, yeah. 12 new members. And here are their pictures up here. I'm going to try to get all their last names. I've been working on it. Shola Amos, Levi Bittner, Rachel Bradley, Bill Elliott, Scarlett Godwin, Marcia Grass, Patrick Hubbard, Jenna Howard, Rayanne Ramos, Leah um, Ryder, and Jen and Samuel, who are about to get married, Thomas. Thompson. Thompson. Okay, we got it pretty good, right? I want you guys to memorize these names because this is part of our church family now. Okay? You've got to welcome them. Yeah. So when you see these people, give them a hearty handshake, a hug. Sorry, guys. You're going to get a lot of hugs today, those of you who are here. Um, but welcome these people. Scarlett is going, she's a, a provisional member, so as soon as she gets baptized, she'll be officially a member. So we have those baptisms coming up March 17th. She's going to be one of them, and you're going to be another one. So it'll be fun. And, and that's March 17th. The next membership class, if you miss this one, is April 14th. We're actually going to do it a Sunday night here. So mark that on your calendars. It's going to be good. Uh, April 14th. So that's something to be excited about because God is doing something in our midst and we are learning how to see it. That's what this series is, learning to develop that kingdom vision. And part of that kingdom vision is seeing this invisible power of God around us, which is the kingdom of God, because it's all around us. It's changing hearts and lives all around us. And one of the things we need to learn about that is that it is invisible, It is invisible, and that's important because we need to learn how we treat everyone with respect, love, and acceptance. Because we like to judge people, don't we? We're very quick to judge because it's easy and simple. We we like to just judge people very quickly. Um, I was talking to my wife about this message this week, and she gave me permission to share this story. It's kind of funny, but um, she remembers a time when she was in college, and she went to this concert downtown. We both went to Colorado State University, and this was actually before we met. And she was going to this concert, just a, a real small show, and when she and her friend were out in front, this guy walked up to her and her friend. He was smoking. He had really long dreads. It looked like he was homeless, right? Raggy clo- like just... Ugly-looking dude, right? Just like, what is this guy doing? And she's just like, who is this guy? Get away from me. Why are you approaching me? This is kind of creepy. We don't have any money for you, right? So a few months later, if we fast forward, she meets me, falls madly in love. (laughs) I'm kidding. No, I fell madly in love. Um, We met each other. We started dating. Well, it turns out that guy, that homeless guy, is actually one of my roommates, one of my best friends. (laughs) And he is actually one of my groomsmen. Um, He's actually now a pastor here in Denver, but she thought for the longest time, she's like, who is this guy? Didn't, you know, and she just realized, hey, I've got to learn to treat people with respect and dignity. You never know who someone will be because you never know who will be a person in the kingdom of God. And we've got to learn because we're so quick to make those snap judgments, aren't we? We do it because it's easy for us. We like to delineate who's in and who's out, who's good and who's bad. We, we like to be able to do this and we judge very quickly on, on small things, even things like what book they read. How could you watch that movie? Okay, how could you go and be around those people? How could you smoke that? Right? We judge people on all sorts of things. How could you vote for that guy? How could you vote for her? Right? How could you post that online? We judge people. Even their spirituality, don't we? They can't be a Christian if they voted for that person. They can't hold that theological position and still be a Christian, can they? 
We judge people so quickly because we want to determine who's in and who's out. Well, what we're going to learn today about the kingdom is that's not really our job. And we're going to learn how to approach it differently. And interestingly enough, we're going to talk about judgment, God's judgment. But the reality of that judgment actually means that we don't have to judge people right now. That's good, right? And we're going to explore that topic, why God's judgment means we shouldn't judge people now. It's going to be really important. So in this series in Kingdom Vision, we're looking at Matthew chapter 13, a chapter in the Gospel of Matthew in which Jesus taught a series of seven parables. Seven parables, these stories about everyday things that taught much deeper truths about the kingdom, the power of God that is invisible and all around. And the first parable we saw last week, um, and in that parable we learned to cultivate the seeds of the kingdom. Jesus used this story of a farmer just throwing seeds willy-nilly, right? Just everywhere, just doing that all over the place. And these seeds represented people. And when they heard the word of God, that seed, those people would grow up into plants. And we learned, hey, it's not just enough to just tell people about Jesus, the message of the kingdom. But we want to nurture that growth. We want to cultivate it and help people grow up in their faith so that they will be well-watered, nourished, be able to develop roots so that they can bear fruit and help other people follow Jesus. You tracking with me? Remember that from last week? And what's really interesting, that that parable, that that story that Jesus tells was all about plants, these good plants growing. Well, Danny right here, he's sitting in the front row. I told him I was going (laughs) to. He texted me right afterwards. He said, well, what about the weeds? And I love that question. What about the weeds? Because weeds grow, right? You know, how come weeds can grow in the rocky soil, but plants can't? So he's just kind of asking that theoretically based on just the parable last week. And guess what Jesus' next parable is about? Weeds. He knows what he's talking about. Jesus even knew that question was going to come up. What about the weeds? What about the weeds? What about the bad plants that are growing up all around us? What about that? Well, how come they can grow and develop roots and even bear fruit? That's very bad fruit. How can that happen? So I'm glad he asked that question because that's exactly what we're going to look at today because there are some bad plants growing up. There are some weeds in the garden, weeds in the field. What do we do about them? Do we judge them? Do we kick them out? Do we say, "Mm, they're not believers? Do we treat them harshly and kick them out of our presence and not do anything with them? How do we associate with those people? So that's what we're going to look at today as Jesus continues on in Matthew 13. If you have your Bibles, we're going to see the next parable that Jesus teaches as we jump down to verse 24 of Matthew 13. In verse 24, we read that Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed, in his field. Sounds a lot like last week, right? But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. Some older versions say tares. It's talking about weeds. And went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? Get rid of the weeds? No, he answered, verse 29, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. You guys hearing this story? So there's wheat now, but then an enemy has come in. That's 
maybe a strange form of uh, warfare, but the enemy is coming in. I'm going to ruin all your wheat fields, all the good fields, by putting this bad seed right in there among the good seed. And when they start to grow, the good and the bad are right next to each other. The wheat and the weeds, should we separate them? Well, no, no, no. What if we accidentally pull up some wheat? What if we lose some of the good stuff? And that's what happens when you farm. That's why they use a lot of herbicides today, right? To kill all those weeds. But in Jesus' day, there was no herbicides. So what do you do with these bad seeds right there among the good seeds, the bad plants next to the good plants? So I told you last week about Melissa and I's time in Nebraska and how when I went there, I really had a black thumb of death, right? I just killed every plant before I got there. I was terrible with plants. But when we got there, after a while, we realized everyone had gardens, huge gardens there, huge gardens. And everything grew really well. Everybody there had green thumbs, it seemed like. And in fact, around harvest time, if you didn't lock your car doors, people would put zucchini in there. <laughs> Got to get rid of all this zucchini and squash. Seriously. Um, and it was awesome. It was awesome. Or tomatoes. Man, there's so many tomatoes going around there. So we decided after being there for a little while that we wanted to have a garden too. So I talked to the guy in my church. He said, oh yeah, I'll help you. I'll set you all up. So he went literally down to the, the railroad tracks and found some uh, railroad ties, <laughs> pulled four of them and, and put them in our backyard. And, and we needed some dirt. And he said, I know where I can get some free dirt. And do you know where you get free dirt? The cemetery. Yeah, and Melissa was a little weirded out by that. But hey, it's free dirt. It was taken out so that the body could be put in there, right? So we had this dirt in there and we, we put our garden in there. And the first year we had no idea what we were doing. So we just got a bunch of things. Well, oh, that would taste good. I want some of these peppers, onions, jalapenos, tomatoes. So we got all these seeds and we just kind of planted it. We didn't know how much space each seed needed. We reread it, but on the back of the thing, I mean, we didn't do it right. So we just kind of threw seeds in there, all this good stuff in our little tiny plot. But then what happened? As things began to grow, we didn't know what was what. We'd kind of labeled it, but it was still pretty hard to tell. And we didn't know what the plants looked like to begin with. And it's very windy in Nebraska, so it was blowing in other seeds from the fields, weeds, into our little plot. So there's all these things growing up together, right? And I would ask Melissa, I remember this vividly. I remember, should I just pull this one up? And she's like, I don't know. What, what if that's some sweet peas right there? Oh, I guess we'll just leave it. So we had to leave these plants until they could grow enough and mature so we could tell what they were. This is what we did. Maybe you say, oh, you're amateurs. But we were. But that's what we did. We didn't know which was what. The good seed and the bad seed was right next to each other. So this is what Jesus is saying. That's what happened. In this field, there are good seeds, bad seeds. Good plants, bad plants. So what are those things? What do they represent? Because Jesus is teaching us a deeper truth with his story, right? The nice thing about this parable, just like last week, is that Jesus explained to his disciples what he meant. I like when he does this. It makes it a lot easier to interpret. So Jesus explains this. Jump all the way down in your Bibles to verse 36. In verse 36, we have that up here. It says, Then Jesus left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. We're part of your community. Teach us these truths. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. That's what he called himself, following a biblical prophecy. He's the Son of Man. So Jesus is sowing the good seed. It says in 38, The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters 
are angels. So Jesus is saying, hey, in in this parable, he just gave us an explanation of what each of these things represent. Jesus is the one sowing the seed. He's telling people about this kingdom power that he has, that he's the king. That if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. That's what he taught over and over again. And as it sows the seed into the world, where we live, right? The world. There's good seed, which is the people who do believe in Jesus, that are part of the kingdom, who have entered the kingdom. But the bad seed are the people of the enemy, those who do not believe in Jesus. And they were sown there by the devil. And we saw in our very first week in this series that some people believe, some don't. And the people that don't have been blinded by the devil. Remember we talked about this? That's what's happening. Some people believe and some don't. Jesus is explaining why these people are intermingled in our world. Why one person is a believer, one isn't, one part of the kingdom, one isn't, one's a follower of Jesus, one's someone who despises Jesus. And the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. So he's saying, hey, at the end, when the plants have fully grown, when they're bearing fruit, then I will send my angels at the end, at the time of judgment, to separate the good from the bad, to determine who's in and who's out. Tracking with me? So here's a reality. There is a judgment. It's a thing. So Jesus is saying here, there is a judgment. In fact, he goes on to explain what this judgment is like. He says in verse 40, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, Jesus, will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So I hope that you guys do hear that there is a judgment. Judgment is a thing. That's what Jesus is saying. And in case you're like, oh, I don't know about that. I like the God of love. We'll get to that in just a second. But Jesus talked about judgment and hell more than anyone else in the entire Bible. So you can't say, I like Jesus and not like this part of his teaching. In fact, just a little bit later in this chapter, there's another parable that we're not going to dive into deeply. He tells another story about a fisherman going out into the lake and throwing out a big net. And they would wait till all the fish swam into the net and then pulled it up. This is how they used to fish in Jesus' day. But in the net were not only good fish, but a whole bunch of bad junk and bad fish and who knows other things crawling around on the bottom of the lake, right? And he said at the end of the age, we pick this up in verse 49, I'll just tell you a little bit, that they separate the good fish from all the bad junk. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus, it wasn't just a mistake right here. He says this over and over and over again in his teaching. There will be a judgment. There will be the good and the bad, the righteous and the unrighteous, and they will be separated at the end. And it said the unrighteous are the people who do evil. Evil people who sin. That's what it's saying. So Jesus said there will be this judgment, the separation of the good fish and the bad fish. Separation of the wheat and the weeds. The sheep and the goats is another parable in Matthew. There is a separation. Whatever you call him, he's saying there's good and there's bad. There's two different places where people will go for eternity. Jesus taught this very, very clearly, that we all would stand before him at the judgment. And let me tell you this. That's a very good thing. Hmm. A lot of us cringe. We're modern 21st century Americans. We don't like the idea of judgment in hell. We don't. It's hard for us to hear. 
But let me tell you this, it's a good thing. Just a little while back last year, I had a conversation with one of my neighbors, and he was kind of going on about how great this evangelical preacher was who had stopped teaching about hell, said that there is no hell, everyone goes to heaven. And he was like, oh, I just love that preacher. He, he's talking about love. And I said, I said, that's a bad thing. He's like, what? I said, everybody wants hell. He looked at me like I was crazy. And I am a little. I said, everyone wants hell. And I said, do you remember that guy in Ohio? At the time, I didn't remember his name. His name's Ariel Castro. Remember this guy? In Ohio, he had imprisoned, he had kidnapped four different win- women and held them in his dungeon of a house for over a decade These women he abused and mistreated, neglected. They were his sex slaves. Do you know when he was caught? When the judge and the jury sentenced him? Do you know what his sentence was? For that crime. It was life without possibility of parole plus what? 1,000 years. Because that jury, that judge, and I guarantee you not all of them were Christians, that jury and judge knew that one lifetime was not enough punishment for what he did to those women. See, hell is a good thing. Or think about someone like um, some of the people, the Nazis. Uh, think of someone, um, I need to look up the name. It was a little bit before my time. Joseph Mangala. You may have heard about him, the the evil doctor of death in the Nazi prison camps. So Mengele is very infamous for how he treated people. He did experiments on all sorts of people, the handicapped, people with dwarfism. He would even take people and he would inject different chemical substances into their eyes to see if he could change the color in the eyes. Run all sorts of nasty experiments. He especially was infamous for his experiments on twins and triplets. He would even kill one of the twins and watch the other one, make the other one watch. Well, do you know what happened to Mangala? He escaped. He went to South America and he was not caught. He was not in prison. He was not sentenced for any of his crimes. He died at an old age, swimming in the beach off the coast of Brazil of a stroke. And we look at someone like Joseph Mangala and we say, there has to be a hell. The philosopher Plato, the great Greek philosopher, he said, if death is the end of life, a release from life, then it is a boon for the wicked. It's true. Miroslav Volf is a um, great theologian, Christian philosopher. And he's Croatian. So he and his country lived through the Croatian War of Independence. This was in the early 90s. I was alive then. Terrible destruction. Evil that was going on. Tens of thousands of people were killed. Lots of bombs happened. You you remember the news. And Miroslav Volf said this. He says, It takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the thesis of God's refusal to judge. Meaning if you want to believe that God doesn't judge people, you have to be pretty comfortable. He says... In a scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent, it will invariably die. And as one who watched it die, one will do well to reflect about many other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. It takes people who have not been wronged, who have not seen injustice and the destruction and evil of our world to not want a judgment. See, that's why I think everybody does want a judgment. They want God to come through and separate the evil, wicked, sinful people and make them pay a just punishment for the things they have done in this life. 
They have to pay for their crimes. We want that. We need that. The question is, I think for all of us, is who's in and who's out? That's the ter- tricky part, right? Mengele, Hitler, we'll, we'll put them in there. We'll put Ariel Castro, he'll go to hell, but what about some of these other criminals? Isn't that the hard question? I want you to just do this thought experiment for just a minute. What if you had to decide who's in and who's out? What if it were up to you? Think about this for a little bit. If you had to decide who would be separated from God in hell for eternity and who you would spend the rest of your eternity with in heaven. That's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus said. If you had to make that decision for yourself, who's in and who's out, how would you do it? You'd say, oh, those really, really awful criminals, yeah, they should probably go to hell. Those terrible people, yeah, that makes sense for them. They need to at least have a punishment that's just for their crimes. And that's what the Bible always says, it's just. Did you know that the Bible says there are different degrees of hell? So not everyone is going to have the worst of the worst. It's exactly just for the crime. Okay, I want you to say that. But we would say, okay, the worst of the worst go over here in hell. But then what about like just some, and you killed one person. A murderer, well, you know, that's pretty bad. Let's, let's put them, rapists, pedophiles, we'll put them over here in hell. Just, just think about this for a second. Well, what about some other people who have other crimes? Yeah, maybe they're felons, but it was just a, a string of robberies. Nobody died. Nobody was really hurt. It was just possessions that were taken. Would you let them into heaven? Well, then, if they're in heaven with you, you're going to have to lock your doors. You're going to have to put up walls, because now these people who are just these smaller crimes, right? They wouldn't kill someone unless you got in their way while they were robbing. They aren't to be in heaven, and now you've ruined heaven for yourself and everybody else. It's just Earth 2.0. Who wants an alarm system in, in heaven, right? Seriously, think about this. Let's do this thought experiment, okay? So how do you decide? You'd want to know what exactly happened in the past. You'd want to know all the details about the crime. You wouldn't even just want DNA evidence because that could be planted, right? You want to know everything that happened, all the truth. Okay, that's just the past, but you'd also want to know that person's heart. What led them to this? Were there psychological factors? Were they dealing with a mental illness? Or maybe they did the crime because they were evil at the time, but maybe they have shown remorse now. Should I let that person into heaven? But then we wonder, how true is their remorse? Because we know that people can fake remorse, right? Or be remorseful for a time. So we'd also want to know the future. Will this person recommit? Will they go back into their life of crime and hurt other people? Because then it would just, again, ruin heaven for everybody. Man, that's a lot of stuff we'd have to know, right? Well, here's some good news. God knows all of that. And it's a good thing that we do not have to judge the living and the dead. You don't have to make that call. But God, who knows all things, knows the past, knows our hearts, what's going on. He knows if people are truly remorseful and repentant. And he knows even in the future whether someone will return to crime and sin or not. He knows all those things, and that's why he is the only one who can judge and should judge. And that's why I can say it's a good thing that God judges the living and the dead. Tracking with me? Following this thought experiment that I'm going through. It's a good thing that there is judgment. And there's a good thing we can leave it up to God who knows people's hearts. He knows all the factors that contributed to their sin and crime. And he knows what they're going to do in the future. And that's why it's good that we can just leave it in God's hands.
We can leave it in God's hands. And I think that is important. I talked with my brother. He was just on a jury trial up in Fort Collins. And um, he, he said it was really, really tough to be on this jury. It's the first time in his life. And he said, you know, it was very clear from the beginning that this young woman was guilty of the crime. She had catfished her friends. You guys know about that? So she had set up these online profiles to trick her friends. And she did it in order to manipulate her friends. Um, and, and involved sending, you know, nude photos, terrible stuff that she manipulated her friends into, to control them. Well, she was arrested. It was very clear that she did it. So it was clear because based on the law that this woman was guilty and would have to pay for her crime. But here's the tough thing. My brother said it was really hard because if we gave her this punishment for the rest of her life, she would be on the registered sex offender list. She's only 21. He said for the rest of her life, we were putting this scarlet letter on her that she would have to live with forever based on the things that she had done. They were awful. She did them. But he said it was so hard. And he said even after the, the jury agreed, all, all of them were in favor of um, convicting her, the judge had to ask each one of the jurors, guilty or not guilty. And each one of them had, would have to affirm what the jury had decided. And he said it was so hard to just vocalize that because as they were all saying that, the girl and her parents were weeping. See, it's a good thing we don't have to judge. And there's a good thing that God knows all things and can judge 100% just and fair, isn't it? It's a very good thing. And I think that's the reason when we do think about judgment that we learn how to interact with people today. Now, I do want you to be thinking about judgment for yourself. I do want you to think about it because one day you will stand before the tribunal, the judgment seat of Christ. It says that in 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We will all face the judgment based on what we have done, our actions. That's what it says. So we need to be clear. Are you ready for that day? Before I go any further and talk about how we're going to treat others, I want us to all be ready. Are you ready for that day? To stand before Jesus. Have you gotten right with God? Because you know the things you feel guilty for. Maybe even right now you're reliving some of those things. Or you wake up in the middle of the night sweating. What if somebody found out about that? What if someone exposed my browser history? But God sees all of that. And it will all be laid bare before the judgment seat of Christ. But there's a good thing because there is a king who died for you. There's a king who came down and lived a perfect life, which none of us has been able to do. He's the one who did not do evil, did not commit sins. He lived a perfect, righteous life, and yet he still faced punishment in your place. So on that day, when you stand there before the judgment seat of Christ, you will feel ashamed of the sins you have committed. You will. Every single one of us. And we will be judged according to that. But if we have put our trust in Jesus Christ to be our King and our Savior, Jesus will say, you are forgiven. Come enter the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. That's good news, right? So some of you need to get right with God today. You need to ask for forgiveness and you need to declare Jesus your King and Savior today.
I'm going to be in the back after the service. If there's something that you're like, man, I, I feel guilty for, I need to confess, I'm going to be here for you. Our, our prayer team will be here. Our staff will be here. We'll pray with you. We'll make sure that you don't leave here today not ready for that judgment. So I want to say that because that's important, okay? I don't want anybody to leave here without knowing that truth and being ready for that day. But what I want us to really focus on this morning is how that truth of judgment shapes how we treat other people. That's what's really important for us today because if we have kingdom vision, we're going to see that. So let's look at the parable one more time in verses, um, I believe it's 28, that we're looking for. Uh, In the second half of 28, when Jesus was telling his parable, it says, the servants asked the owner, do you want us to go and pull the weeds up? Do you remember this part of the parable? Should we go out and do that? Should we just get all the weeds out of here right now? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. Did you catch that? Because here's the thing. The kingdom of God is invisible. We do not know if someone has gotten right with God and repented of their sins, even if at the very last moment, and someone who hasn't. We don't know the difference. We don't know who's ins and out. We don't get to decide, and we thank goodness we don't decide who the sheep and the goat are, the wheats and the weeds, the fish and the junk from the bottom of the lake. We don't know. So we should not uproot anyone. We don't need to do the weeding. This is what I want you to understand today. Let God determine who's in and out. Let God do it. It's his job. He doesn't need your help doesn't let God determine who's in and out so I believe Jesus is teaching us here in this parable how we interact with people we don't know who's going to enter the kingdom or maybe enter one day we don't know it could be the criminal on the cross next to Jesus and he believed he put his faith in Jesus Christ and he, Jesus said today you will be with me in paradise he was a criminal convicted he had done his crimes he had committed sins and yet he had been forgiven so we never know who's in and who's out. So let's let God handle that. You guys with me? This means the way we treat people today is we don't judge them. We don't judge who's in and out. And Jesus would go on to say this multiple times in Luke 6, for example, Jesus said, do not judge or, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. This is the way of the kingdom. Paul would say later in Romans chapter 14, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. I think he's talking about this parable here. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. It's not our job to determine who's in and out. To say, oh, I think you've committed two bad sins. What you did Saturday night, that disqualifies you. That book you read, even that denomination you're a part of, we don't decide that. We do know what the truth is, that you have to believe in Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, in order to be saved. We we say that. We, We refute error. But we don't know who is in or who's out. We don't ever say anything about someone's salvation. A lot of times people will ask me about this. Like, well, did you read that book by so and so author? They can't be a Christian anymore, can they? Say, I don't know. That's wrong, but I don't know their soul. Good thing I don't want to decide. I don't want to have that burden placed on me. I'm going to let God handle that. So I'm just going to treat people instead with love, respect, with acceptance, and welcoming because you never know 
who might be in the kingdom or one day in the kingdom. Billy Graham once said, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. That's what it means to live in the kingdom of God. To have that kingdom vision. We treat everyone with love. We never know. We're not saying their sin's okay. We're guiding them and helping them and loving them so that they can become more and more like Jesus. That's what we're all working on, right? So what is our place to judge others? What is our place to judge? And I think these two truths that we've looked at today go hand in hand. I think the reason why we don't have to judge other people is because God's going to judge them. It's not like if we don't say something bad about that person right now, God's not going to be able to handle it. No, he will. In fact, Miroslav Volf even said that. He was and is um, a a practicer of nonviolent resistance. And he says the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine justice and vengeance. If you want to be a person of love and welcoming others, you have to believe that one day the bad people will be judged fairly. Or else it's so hard to love like his enemies in Serbia. How could you do that as a Christian? But you have to. And we can because we know that God will judge them. He'll take care of it. We don't have to. We don't have to. In fact, I want to show you one more verse. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, Don't judge anyone now. The time for judging will be when the Lord comes. He will shine light on everything that is now hidden in darkness. He will make known the secret purposes of our hearts. Let's let him handle it now. We just love people now. Tracking with me? Following me here? So how can we be people of love and acceptance and welcoming? What does that mean for our church? You know what I know for sure? It will mean you will see people in church and you'll say, what are you doing here? How could you wear those clothes? How could you have those tattoos? How could you work at that place? How could you have done that last week or last night? I saw you out. Oh, don't tell anybody I was there either. Right? This is what we're going to do in church, and this is how it is. Carrie Newhoff, a pastor in Canada, says, If everyone in your church looks like you, acts like you, votes like you, believes like you, and thinks like you, you're probably not the church. We're going to be different. There's going to be some friction because sometimes we wonder, is that person even a Christian? That's okay. Let that take place. We're not supposed to separate the weeds and the wheat because who knows who we might uproot on accident. We let everybody just grow together. We love people. We encourage them. We want them to grow and bear fruit. But sometimes we don't know. Judas was one of the 12 disciples. Jesus knew it the whole time. It's not our job to decide who's in and who's out. So I want you to think about this. I, I, heard, I read a book by a pastor named Mark Clark. He's another pastor in Canada. And he talked about when, when his church, he was seeing all sorts of people come into Christ and brand new believers in Jesus. And he said there was no room in their parking lot because their church was so full. And, and someone parked on someone's lawn. And the owner of this house came out and was just yelling at this guy. And the guy turned around, dropped a few choice words and flipped them off. How could that person go to your church? Everybody else see it. There's fights in the parking lot. But they're brand new believers. Who knows? You know, this person is being transformed. You should have seen where they were last week before they came to Christ. We never know. Everybody's in this progress, right? 
They're in this progression. So we need to love and accept and welcome everyone. And when we see those people and we like, what the heck are they doing here? We, we instead should praise God that they are here. We should praise God. Wow. I love it when people tell me about the sins in their life. And I'm like, I'm so glad you're here. Or the things they're doing right now. And I'm like, they're like, I don't know. They're kind of awkward and uncomfortable to tell me certain things about. I'm like, you fit right in. That same neighbor said, man, I can't go to your church. The place would burn down. I said, you'd be surprised. You should see some of the people that are there. I'm there. But that's what we are. We're a community of grace. And that's what I want our church to be. We're the kingdom of God. The, the good and the bad grows up together. We sometimes don't know which one's which, but we're praying for each other. We're encouraging each other and helping each other grow in faith. It's not our job to job. It's... It's not our job to love. I'm sorry. It's not our job to judge. It's our job to love, to show grace, and to be a people and a kingdom of grace here in this world right now. You know, some of you are thinking, well, Matt, don't, don't we sometimes have to approach people about their sins? Yes. You can talk about that at your community groups, but that's not what this message is about. There are certain ways to do that, and, and the bio, Jesus gives clear instructions about how to do it. First, you take out the plank in your own eye before you talk to somebody else. You make sure you do it gently. You do it in love, in private, and in person, and say, hey, I, I don't think what you're doing is right. You've got to stop, and hopefully they repent and you restore them. That, that's an important scriptural truth, but we're not doing that because we're saying that person is evil. We're not saying they're going to the hell. We're just trying to help them, Right? So you can talk about that at a community group. I just want to point that out in case some of you are wondering. The vast majority of the time, our job is to love, right? And even in that, you love. You love by helping your friend that's struggling with a sin that they're unrepentant about. The point is, we need to love. It's our job. It's not our job to judge. God can handle it. So as we have the band come up right now, You know, I, I think the ultimate reason why we can do this, we know judgment is coming, but we know how we are supposed to treat other people with grace, with love, because that's how Jesus treated us. And I love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Jesus would tell another series of parables about a, a shepherd who lost one sheep and he left the 99 to go after the one person, that one sinner. Oh, let's just let him go. They've left the herd. No, Jesus goes there. And he's talking about himself, the good shepherd, putting that sheep on his shoulders to return. Tells another parable about a woman who lost one coin out of ten. And she scours everywhere in her house just to find the one coin because she cared about that one coin so much. And she rejoiced when she found it. And then Jesus tells a parable about a son who went away from his father, wishing his father was dead. That would take all the inheritance and spend it in sin. But when that son came walking back, the father runs out after the son with a big hug to welcome him back. And when Jesus died on the cross, that's what he was doing for you. He was welcoming the sinner back into his fold, into his household. And that's how we're supposed to treat people too. You know, uh, I want us to be a church that's like that, going after sinners, welcoming them, not knowing, they're sitting in our midst. We love them, we welcome them. I remember uh, at my last church, there was a woman who got caught in terrible sin. It was big news in a small town, right? Terrible sin. It was bad stuff. Got fired from her job because of it. And she left our church immediately. We, we all reached out to her. You know, we weren't saying what she did was right, but we reached out to her, talked to her, showed up at her house to say, well, you know, what, what's going on? Where are you? Because we love this woman, right? And I will never forget 
the morning that she came in. She came into a worship service. She came in late because she was nervous, right? She kind of came in sheepishly, looking down. But as soon as people saw her in the back, I was in the back there, people gave her hugs. They welcomed that sinner back into the midst. And that's the community we need to be. We need to be a church of grace and love. Let God, let God determine who's in and out. We just love. You guys with me? So, we're going to sing this song, Reckless Love, here in just a second. And it's based on that parable, you know, the, the one shepherd going after the one sheep that went away, right? It seems reckless, God's love, Jesus' love for us. And it's amazing, because it does seem so reckless. Why would he welcome sinners back like us? But he does. And that's how we can be as well. So what we're going to do right now, we're doing it in this series. We're going to collect our offering. This is part of our worship, responding to what God is doing. And then we're going to all stand. Once the plate has kind of passed you by, stand up and sing this song about God's reckless love. And, you know, I just want to say one thing about giving real quick. Just our attendance is up right now, but our giving is actually down. Okay? So what what that means is we have some new people that aren't giving. Okay? I'm not doing this to call you out, but I want to encourage you. If you want to be a part of a church community that's welcoming and loving to sinners, all of us here, we need your help financially. So would you guys support us and do that? Because this is what we're about. We're a part of that kingdom. Okay? Let's pray. Lord God, um, I just pray for this church, that we would be a community of grace, of love and acceptance, that we see the sinner and we welcome them in with hugs, with love, with grace, like the grace that you showed us when you sent your son Jesus to die for us so that when we do stand before the judgment seat, convicted, sinners, awful, every one of us, you welcome us into your kingdom of heaven forever. Lord God, give us that heart of grace so that right now we are not people of judgment, but people of love and kindness and mercy. Lord, use us because you have reckless love. Let us have reckless love for those around us. pray this in Jesus' name.